Ready, Roy? I was born ready. Welcome to Drawing Funny, where we talk tunes with some sketchy characters in the comics industry and fandom. I'm your host, Lynn Workman. So, tell me about yourself. What do you want to know, my son? Hey, gang. Uh, if you listened to my last uh, podcast, uh, episode 39, Why So Anxious, uh, yeah, maybe I should have broken that up into two episodes. Mm, I'll keep an eye on the time this time. Uh, may I, uh express my feelings about inconvenience and yeah but if you did listen to it i i really appreciate it and uh sorry for such a dark subject it's really dark i know i, I spent a lot of time on uh anxiety depression uh and failure but i kind of wanted to um kind of reply back to my to myself about the failures See, son, old legends never die. They just lose weight. It's like a legend and an out-of-work bum look a lot alike, Daddy. I always try to at least fail forward. I don't regret uh, many of my failures uh, because you know, I, I at least tried. You know, I, I attempted to uh, to do something, and many times I, I did succeed. Hot damn, we're going to make it. If I hadn't gotten into doing the t-shirt shop, uh, yeah, there are so many people I wouldn't have met, uh, so many projects I wouldn't have been a part of, uh, so much art I wouldn't have created. I'm making art here! Just so many things I wouldn't have experienced, both good and bad. Let me tell you something about that. Yeah, it's, I could say the same for the comics. Yeah, if I hadn't gotten into comics... Again, there are just, you know, there are so many people I wouldn't have met. Welcome to Mississippi, Sheriff. Thank you, Mr. Bandit. I got to meet a lot of the creators that I looked up to as, as a kid, you know, that, that got me hooked on comics. Uh, some of them even became friends. I've got friends all over the country now because of, of my comics. Damn, he had a lot of friends, didn't he? I've seen places and... And done things I, I never would have thought possible if I hadn't created comics. I regret nothing. And that kind of leads me into this episode. And uh, where do I begin? Very well. Where do I begin? I've seen a lot of people lately online post, How do I make comics? Or how do I create my own comics? Seriously? It's, it's a legitimate question. It just kind of baffles me at times uh, because you know, I've, I've been doing comics, you know, creating comics since I was probably old enough to read comics. Uh, you know, I've, I've been drawing since I was about four, three or four years old. You get tistical son of a I started reading comics probably, the first comics I probably read were the, um, you know, Sunday Funnies. Uh, but I, I started reading Spider-Man comics I was probably about eight, eight, eight or nine years old. I started collecting them when I was nine or ten years old. You know, the first comic I ever bought 
was Amazing Spider-Man 171. Bought it off a spinner rack at a local 7-Eleven out off of uh, Bartlett Boulevard. Or no, sorry. Um, it's actually Sycamore View, that part of uh, Bartlett. It's about a mile up the road from where I buy my comics now at the cellar. How's business? Booming. My mom would uh, bring me comics uh, if she saw some at a, uh, a yard sale. Or There's a lot of times I got comics that had no uh, no covers. You know, back in the day, they would rip off the covers to you know send it back for credit or whatever. And these comics were supposed to be destroyed, but you know they they usually ended up in the hands of kids, you know, like myself. Actually, the first comic I ever read had no cover. It was Marvel Team Up number four with Spider-Man and the X-Men, and they're teaming up against Morbius. Yeah, I had, I had no idea what issue that was or even what the cover looked like until years later. I probably told this story before, but both of these stories, Amazing Spider-Man 171 and uh, the X-Men, Spider-Man, Marvel Team-Up number four were two-part stories. And there were the second part, uh, the second half of the stories. And for the longest time, I didn't get to read the, the first part. I just you know how the story ended. All right. Sorry, my bad. Uh, so I, I finally picked up a copy of the uh, the Nova issue that had the, the, the first part of the, the Amazing Spider-Man story. Uh, because the, the first part was written by Marv Wolfman, second part Len Wein, and the uh, the Spider-Man uh, X-Men one, I believe it was um, he and the Human Torch had teamed up in number three. And I, did, I didn't pick up an issue of that until years, years, years later. Uh, I believe I was at the um, Cape Con with Nikki uh, when I finally found a copy. How'd that get in there? And when I had Len Wein uh, sign my Amazing Spider-Man 171 here at Memphis at the uh, Mid-South Con, I told him, "Hey, you know, this was a uh, this was the first comic I ever bought. You're the one that got me hooked on comics." And he kind of laughed and said, "Oh, so I'm to blame." It was right after we had both been on a panel together. It was a, I couldn't believe that I was I was on a panel with the guy that wrote the comic story that got me hooked on comics. Of course, the Green Goblin showed up and he fucking bombed the hell out of the place. And if I hadn't started creating my own comics years ago. Uh, it wouldn't have led to that meeting, that team up on the panel, and, and my friendship with Len. I started drawing my Spider-Man comics, when again, when I was eight, nine, I guess. They were on whatever paper I could find, you know, notebook paper, typing paper, whatever. It didn't matter. Um, I, I did them. Actually, I did a lot of them in full color because I would draw them in pencil and then ink them with whatever ballpoint pens I could find and colored them with markers or crayons. Some of my official, you know, first published work was probably fifth, sixth grade, I guess. A teacher saw that I was doing my own comics. And I, I, it was probably when I should have been doing some of my schoolwork. But she was doing a newsletter for the school and asked me to put some of my comic strips in there. And since they were, you know, they were my own characters that I'd, I'd created, uh, it wasn't the Spider-Man stuff. Um, I actually did create some of my own little characters back then. Uh, yeah, I said, okay, sure. So I actually got a little bit of time set aside each day at school to, uh, to work on some of these. Now later, you know, I've told you about uh, Greg Cravens asking uh, some of us to come over and help him out with his Planet of the Apes comics. And that was my first time to actually officially work on a printed comic. Um, I did some, some Zipatone, uh, which is uh, the sheets with the dot patterns on them, and you cut them out with a exacto uh, and stick them on the backgrounds or your, your comic pages. And it, it helps with the shading. 
do all that in in the uh, computer now. Although I, when I was talking to uh, Matt Bowers, I believe he still does a lot of Zipatone and, and different types of uh, shading and letter set on his comic pages. You check out my interview with him. It's one of the earlier ones. All right, good buddy. I'll keep my eyes The first comic series I worked on was Star Gods, and that was with Dave Beatty and Scott Clark and Dean Zachary. Uh, Originally, Jim Hall was in the lineup, and and he dropped out. Creative differences, I guess. That was I started working in Photoshop and doing some lettering uh, as well. I was painting on top of Dean's pencils, and then again lettering it all in Photoshop. It was a big learning experience. Um, I got to work on uncredited on the uh, Miss America comic. I did one issue of that with Scott. And then after the whole Star Gods thing kind of fell apart. Eh, Long story, if I haven't told it to you before, you know, ask me at a a convention or at one of the cartoonist dinner meetings. I'll I'll tell you all about it. I tell people secrets. (laughs) It makes them like me. But Dave and I used to ride to work together. And my old bug and the radio was broken. Does this thing move? Oh, yeah. So we, you know, we talked a lot after Stargots. You know, we were kind of wanting to do our own, own comic. But I was also going to Wonderfest. It's a model toy, horror, sci-fi type of convention up in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Tony Hardy, who's with the, uh, the Pink Palace, who, he uh, runs the, uh, the giant screen, uh, movie screen there. He's involved with the Wonderfest. He's 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 one of the uh, the folks that put it on. Well, I'd been going up there, and I'd really gotten into uh, garage kits, and I you know I thought about creating my own. So when Dave and I were pitching ideas back and forth to each other about what could we do, uh, the model kits came up, and actually Bushy Tales was was going to be uh, model kits, and he asked me, you know, what's what's popular up there, and I said, you know, anime, you know, manga type stuff, uh, monsters, um, you know, and hot girls. You still don't know a bloody thing about women. Honestly, that's what a lot of the kits were, and he said, okay, well, what if we did anime girls fighting monsters? And I'm like, ah, that's awesome. Yes, let's do that. So they were going to be garage kits, and we were going to do like the little mini comics uh, that you see like in some of the, I guess, the He-Man or the uh, Superpowers comics. Or um, I remember getting like a a Boy Scout, like Mego-type action figure that had a comic in it. Uh, I used to love the the mini comics that that came with the action figures. So that's that's what we're going to do. We're going to do like a you know two three page story of the the one of the girls fighting one of these monsters, and then. Uh, we would have an instruction page to you know show how to put together the kit and uh, maybe some painting uh, suggestions. Where did you learn how to do that? I read the instructions. Well, the more we talked about the story, it kind of evolved. It went from being you know these quote unquote hot chicks to um, being these these four girls that were going to go on an adventure. And later we were going to introduce this fifth girl uh, to the mix. But like I said, the story evolved. And we were, we were like, wow, okay. Um, it's not as exploitive, I guess, is, is, is the word for it. You know, we, we, we came to really like the characters. Um, and we wanted to do more of a serious take on the story. So it evolved again and, and became a, a webcomic. And Dave was, uh, Dave was doing the writing. 
just doing the penciling. Uh, he did inking. I did the colors and I did the lettering and we would share duties on the covers. Uh, he'd pencil them. I'd paint them in Photoshop. Um, I did the logo. Oh, and then as, as we got into this, Dave's wife, uh, Micah Stewart, um, she started helping out too. Strap yourselves in, boys. At first, she was, you know, helped us out at the booth because there were times that Dave and I would have to be called to go do a panel or, or you know, whatever. And so she'd, you know, stay behind and watch the booth. And sometimes people would come up to her and ask, oh, you know, did is this your comic? Because she, she would say, no, no, it's my husband and his friends. And, and, it, and they'd go, oh, okay. And they'd walk off. Hell, I got to go. But shortly after we got into doing the comics, she became more than just our, you know, travel agent or, you know, the booth babe. You should choose your words more carefully. Uh, she became part of the team. She started doing color flats for me and doing some digital inking uh, for Dave. He taught her how to do the digital inking. For 800 years have I trained Jedi. Dave had actually been in an accident while we were doing this and you know, messed up his shoulder. And To get back into doing inking, he had, had to, to do digital. Maybe I should do some left-handed. After that point, <laughs> when, after Micah joined the, the art team, Whenever somebody would come up and ask her, is this your comic? And she would say, well, yes, I do work on this comic. And the uh, people were like, oh, okay, great. Uh, and this was back when being an indie comic creator and uh, doing your own thing, man, it was really cool. And Micah even had her own, like, purple Sharpie she loved to sign comics with. <laughs> but again, the comic uh, evolved. It, it changed. The team changed. There's a whole other story about why did the comic fail? Why did it end? I may have gotten into that story before, uh, but that's not for this episode. Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. The important thing was that we did create a comic. It went from being a web comic to being a published comic. And you know, we, we did three issues of it, and we did an art book. And there's, you know, I can get into the whole web versus um, printing. Uh, but I'll, I'll get into that a little later. But we did print it. We were in Diamond. We delivered on time each time. So that's something I can say I'm proud of. Are you sure? Yeah, this time. So when I see people online ask, how do I create comics? Um, Again, it's a little baffling for me, especially with all the uh, the information that's out there. Uh, you know, hearing about the uh, the image guys or you know Terry Moore, Dave Sim, all these these independent guys. You know, their stories. For somebody just to ask, how do I create comics? Yeah, it's it's that's a legitimate question, but it still baffles me. Throw me a freaking bone here. And I'm happy that these people. You know, these creators are asking that question. That's that's a good sign. We need more people creating comics. Uh, I know a lot of people say that the, the market's flooded and all that. But, I, you know, I, I do think cream rises to the top. If you're doing a good comic, if you're creating a, a good property, telling a good story, people will notice. Yeah, it's it's definitely hard to get your uh, your work seen but there's so many more avenues available 
between uh, just doing the web comics, doing digital comics, so many more conventions. Granted, there's less comic shops these days, but there's a lot of other uh, stores that, that do carry comics as well. So yeah, you're going to have to hustle uh, to create comics and, and get your comics out there, but it, it can be done. And honestly, these days it can be done fairly cheap. And your digital drawing programs such as like Procreate, Clip Studio Paint, and I've, and I've seen others uh, mentioned. I've got a whole list of, of uh, resources on our midsouthcartoonist.org page. So check that out if you're interested in, in finding out more about these uh, programs. But the fact that you can get Procreate and Clip Studio Paint and, and what all they do, uh, honestly, uh, what I've seen of Clip Studio Paint, it, it does the work of several different programs. It's not just a digital program. It can help you do page layouts, uh, kind of like InDesign. Uh, it can do some Photoshop type stuff. It can do some Illustrator type stuff. It's got 3D models that you can use. It's got uh, grids that you can use for doing perspective. It's got a lot, and it's it's really really cheap, especially when you consider you know the cost of programs such as Photoshop and the fact that they're they're more of a subscription based service now. You you just don't buy a copy of it, but Procreate or Clip Studio or some of these other digital drawing programs you can uh, either buy them cheap, especially if they're on sale, or some of them you can download for free. Now recently I saw a guy who uh, uploaded uh, some of his samples to Facebook and was wanting to get some uh, feedback on them. And the most glaring thing about his comics that you know, it kind of drew everybody's attention was the word balloons and lettering. And he even said, how can I make these better? I, I, I don't like doing word balloons. I hate doing them. I don't know what to do. And he had used basically like a stock font you're going to get with like, you know, like a word program or whatever you know, came with the computer. And a lot of people said that that's definitely either Git, an actual comic font. You, know, you can go to Blambot or, or some of these other other companies and get, you know get an actual computer font that looks like it should be in a comic book. Or do hand lettering. Hand letter your, your balloons. That's, that's the way they did them in the past. And if you're doing an indie book, honestly, sometimes, um, you know, if you've got a kind of fun, funky handwriting for your lettering that could actually fit better with your book and the aesthetics of it and all. So that was that was one of the, the, the big things that they that most people mentioned. It was just, you know, get a better font. Learn how to do a font. There are programs now where you can actually digitize uh, your handwriting and create your own fonts. Uh, Greg Ravens used to do that uh, for his, his comic strips. And fonts, they can be expensive, but you can also catch them on sale. It's just, you know, keep an eye out. Definitely shop around. Sometimes you can buy bundles. Sometimes you can buy just the single fonts. Look for something that's going to fit your style of art. That seemed to be something that was holding him back. And you know, there's 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 too many books out there on how to do lettering and and fonts and word balloon uh, creating. And you know, here's a couple things I see people do wrong with their word balloons. One. They either try to cram too much dialogue into a balloon. You know, they don't, like, break it up or it's just they don't arrange it well. They, um, they, they squeeze it into um, the fonts, into these, these tiny balloons. And it's like, no, give the dialogue a little bit of room to breathe. You know, it's, you're going to need a little bit of space around your lettering and the, and the outside of the balloon. 
You don't want the outside of the balloon to look like it's squeezing the letters. Another thing is the pointer. Uh, The pointer is very, very, very important. A lot of people just have it pointing in kind of in the general direction of the figure. And sometimes that works, especially for like a long shot. But it drives me crazy to see a word balloon pointer, little pointy part, uh, that it's, should be where the dialogue is, is coming from, shows you know the direction where it's coming from. Uh, it drives me crazy when it's just kind of randomly placed. Sometimes people will point it at the top of the head you know, instead of the mouth. I've literally seen it pointed at somebody's butt, uh, which just looks like Ace Ventura, you know, talking out of his ass. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. They also don't seem to know how to stagger the, the dialogue or to create that flow. And it's it's not that difficult, really. I mean, it's especially with the, the digital uh, programs and stuff, like, you, know, you can move your word balloons around really easy. You're not cutting and pasting them down. You're not actually writing onto your art. These days, you can move it around. Even if you're cutting and pasting, you can still take a tracing paper, you know, and kind of draw out where you think your balloons should go before you actually do them. Uh, Charles Schultz used to actually draw in or letter in all of his dialogue before he did his, his figures in each of his panels. Oh, good grief. That always just blew my mind. Um, It's something I've never really been able to do, but I do keep that in the back of my head when I'm laying out my panels for my comic strips or, you know, whatever I'm doing. How much dialogue do I have? How much room am I going to need to leave for it? Because that was one of the things that kind of drove me crazy on Star Gods. We'd have like a uh, one to two page splash page and there'd be like one word balloon on it. And then we'd have another page where there was like nine panels or more and all this dialogue and talking heads with all this dialogue and stuff. And trying to fit that into those tinier balloons was just, uh, it was it was almost impossible. But it also covered up a lot of the art. You know, and having just that one balloon on like a two-page spread or something like that, it it looked really small and out of place and kind of lonely. I understand. So when you're thinking about your your comic pages and your layouts, you know, keep your dialogue, keep that in, in your head. You know, is is this a heavy dialogue page? Is it not? And when you're doing your dialogue, it should flow like your comic pages flow with our American comics. We read left to right and down. You know, you kind of do like a Z pattern. That's how your your lettering should be as well. Be mindful that it's not confusing for your readers, because that's man, that's something that will definitely pull them pull them out uh, immediately. Is if 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 they can't follow your balloons and they they can't follow which panel comes before which panel, that will immediately just grind their their reading to a halt, and they'll go, oh, what the hey. What the hell was that? A left, or a half of you. Well, please don't do it anymore. You know, there's been a few times I've had to go back and, you know, reread dialogue or reread panels and go, oh, okay, I'm supposed to read that one before this one, and this goes with them, and this panel should be read before that one. Your reader shouldn't have to do that. Wait. I got it. Wait. No. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right, hold it. Good layout, panel design, and, and dialogue balloon placement, you know, word balloon placement, it should be a guide. You know, they shouldn't have to think about it at all. It should just come natural, natural flow. Now, there's there's a million different ways of doing uh, word balloons and sound effects and 
caption boxes, you know, all these, all these kind of things. And that's, that's really going to depend on your story, you know, how you want to tell it, how you want your characters to sound. So do some research, look around, see what other people are, are doing with their comics. Is there something you like, something you don't like? Not only is it good to know how to do something, but it's, sometimes it's, it's good to know how not to do something as well. So do that research, uh, do that reading. The more comics uh, you read, the, the better a comic creator you're going to be. It's the same thing with uh, being, you know, writing books. You know, you, if you want to write books, you really should be reading books. If you want to draw comics, you really should be drawing, and not just comic type stuff or superheroes or you know, uh, action poses. And learn to draw furniture. Somebody that I, I saw online was was having trouble drawing rooms. Gosh, I've I've drawn rooms since wow since I, I learned perspective from how to draw comics the Marvel way. Yeah, you know, there's one, two, three point perspectives. My mom was always kind of kind of shocked whenever uh, I would do a draw a layout of how I wanted to rearrange my bedroom. You know? You'll get it with enough practice. Remember, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Use photo reference, especially if you know if you can take the photo reference yourself. Learn to draw animals, learn to draw cars, learn to draw all types of body shapes and, uh, you know, races and hairstyles and, and clothing, all that. As an artist, you know, you're going to be the cinematographer, you're going to be the set dresser, you're going to be the wardrobe person, you're going to be hair and makeup. That's your job. Some people were extremely helpful uh, with some of the folks in the, you know, how do I create comics question. Others were a bit rude, but I think sometimes you you, you have to be a little blunt. Um, <laughs> again, some of them were really blunt, but it comes down to if you want to create comics, go create comics. What type of comics do you want to create? And do you do you want to do web comics, or you want to do digital comics, or you want to do uh, printed singles, or you want to do a original graphic novel? Are you wanting to do gag strips? Are you wanting to do um, a syndicated three-panel strip? What do you want to do? Figure that out. Do the research of what you like, what's what's come before, uh, what's going on now. And don't be afraid to um, take what somebody else is doing and, and make it fit what you're doing. Uh, don't, you know, rip off somebody's story or somebody's characters or something like that. But, you know, if you see some, you know, the way somebody's lettering something, you go, ooh, I, I kind of like that. Or if you see the way somebody's coloring something, you know, their color palette, you go, ooh, okay, that, that could kind of work for me. Or maybe I could go a little lighter, a little darker. When it comes to, like, marketing your book, see what other people are doing. You know, how are they using social media? Um, how are they doing cover design, you know, to make their, their books stand out on, a, um, on the comic shelves? That's important in a sea of comics, you know, is, is yours going to stand out? And is it going to stand out for a good reason or a bad reason? You know, these are things to think about. Getting the word out. Are people uh, using the social media? Are they doing podcast interviews? Are they calling up comic shops? Are they doing in-store appearances? You know, are they selling the comics out of the trunk of their car? How, how are people making things happen? How are they contacting the media and getting the word out that way? News team, assemble! You know, there's newspapers, whichever ones are still around. 
Uh, there's, you know, TV. There's radio. Again, podcasting. I don't mind doing uh, shout-outs. I don't mind giving news about events and projects that are out there, you know, especially like the, uh, the Kickstarter uh, projects, in-store signing appearances, conventions that are coming up different meetings or art classes. I'd be, I'm more than happy to, to mention those uh, if I know about them. Geez, you know, that information might have been a little more useful to me yesterday. And you know, I can't mention them, if, again, if I don't know about them. So definitely, you know, get the word out. Learn how to do press releases. Uh, just learn how to email properly without being too verbose uh, about things. They basically need to know who, what, when, where, why, and probably you know, how much. If you could do that in a short press release or email blast, it's, it's, it's really important. Uh, communication. You, you've got to communicate well. You, know, you can't just tell a good story. You've got to be able to tell people uh, about your story. To the elevator pitch. Um, elevator pitches. It's a one to two sentence uh, describing uh, what your story is. You don't want to tell them the whole story. You want them to, you know, buy the comic to, to read your story, but you want to hook them. And that's that's what a good elevator pitch will do. And learn how to do a press release. If you don't know how to do a press release, you know, do the research. Uh, do a Google search. I used to think, you know, you just kind of needed to tease the media and you, know, you didn't have to write the story for them. Uh, these days, sometimes you just, you may have to. So be prepared uh, to have them just copy and paste what you send them. The media is shorthanded these days too, just like everybody else. Being precise and uh, you know, having some, uh, some good sound bites for them, uh, that, that's always important too. Even if they don't print your whole press release, if they can just pick and choose a couple items, and that's, that's great. Attempt to communicate. I do believe in the power of social media at all, but I, I don't believe in spending all your time on it. You're a comic creator. Create comics. But if you've got to create content for your social media as well, so keep that in mind. But don't let social media control you. Control what you put out there. Put it out often. I've heard people have to hear things like seven times before you know they, they remember it. I've heard people have to hear things like seven times before, you know, they, they remember it. I've heard people have to hear things like seven times before, you know, they, they remember it. I've heard. So if you send out one email or you send out one tweet or one Facebook post and you don't get a lot of responses, well, it's, it's not because people aren't listening. It's just sometimes people don't see it. Either they're not on the, uh, that social media when you did that or they weren't on long enough for it to, to show up in their feed, or you know, it just didn't show up in their feed. They're, you know, I, I really don't understand all the algorithms for social media, but they can work against you as well. All that for a drop of blood. Don't be afraid of doing some uh, you know, physical reminders. I leave uh, freebie swag around to you know, all the local comic shops and some of the bookstores and the libraries and that sort of thing, just to let people know about um, our group. And you can do the same for your, your comic series. Go in and talk to a comic shop. Learn to be social. Learn to be um, outgoing and, and to the elevator pitch. Do you have a local comic shop around? Do you have a good relationship with them? You know, are, are you a good customer? You know, have you been supporting their business? Help you again? Yes. Mm. 
I found that the comic shops that I know, man, they are more than happy to support any local creators. I don't know how to thank you. And I've actually, I've, I've gone into comic shops before where, you know, they didn't know me from, from the next guy. But we had a packet of uh, promotional items, a press release, uh, some samples, uh, all that, uh, that we handed them. And when they looked at it, they go, wow, okay, are you guys in Diamond? And we'd say, well, yes, yes, we are. They go, oh, okay. The next thing I knew, they'd ordered copies of the books. So meeting the um, the owners and the managers of these these comic shops, getting to know the employees. You know, there's several comic shops that have you know the employee pick of the week, and it'll feature that comic. If they like your comic and they like you, it could feature you as well. First impressions are important. Now I've I've talked about. The you know, digital uh, versus uh, actual printed copies, that's that's up to you. How much money are you willing to sink into this thing? Because, you know, print runs, eh, they can be kind of costly. Although, these days, you know, we have print-on-demand. You can print one to two dozen copies if, if you want. Um, you know, if you're going to go to a, a, a convention, you know, and you, you don't want to take cases and cases of books, take a couple dozen and you can officially sell out at the uh, the cons. Just keep in mind that with supply chain issues these days and, and printing delays, be sure you've got plenty of leadway uh, for your printing deadlines uh, so that you can actually have the books in your hands when you go to these conventions. We're losing minutes. You don't get up here and run these men fence. Then you ain't never going to make it. Come back. Some conventions, um, you can ship things to them or to your hotel. Uh, but... What Dave and I and Micah did was that any shows that were on the west side of the Mississippi, we'd pull from their stash of comics and uh, promotional items, and anything on you know the east side of the Mississippi uh, here in the Mid South area around this area, we would use my books, you know, my promotional items, you know, my banners. <laughs> For a while there, we just had like one banner. Man, traveling back and forth with that banner could be a pain. Uh, I remember running through the Chicago airport, I believe it was O'Hare, and I had to be from one end of, you know, one, one side of O'Hare to the other in about 10 minutes. And all the, the moving sidewalks were down. They were all being worked on. And halfway between uh, one gate and the other, my banner tube opened up and it, it all spilled out onto the, the floor there. I had to gather all that up and haul butt uh, through the airport I got there just as they were closing the door. So luckily I, I made my flight, but traveling with that, that tube was, it was a pain. It, it was another carry on thing I had to, had to have with me. Oh, oh, I hear a fat kid running. I hear a fat kid running. I bet it's hilarious. Are, are you working with somebody else? Are, you know, there, are they on the other side of the country? Um, can you coordinate uh, things like that? That's, that's, that's a big, big help. Are you cooperating? Uh, but, Let's kind of talk about working with others and getting your work out there. Greetings, true believers. I'm Stan Lee, co-author of How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. Now, I'll be your host and guide as we journey together along the rambunctious road to comic book artistry, which is to say it looks like we're stuck with each other for the next little while. For artists, for the longest time, you, you just go to a convention and you'd show up with your portfolio of pages, and you'd see an editor, and they would either like your stuff or not, or they'd offer your job or not. 
Uh, they might give you some advice on what to do or who to go see. But for writers, it's always really been tough. You can't just walk up to a, you know, somebody at a, at a convention or whatever and go, hey, here's my script, read it. It just, it just doesn't work that way for a lot of reasons, but most of them are, are, are kind of legal reasons. They don't want to be sued later for stealing your ideas. Plus, they don't have time to sit there and read a whole script. Looking at 10 to 12 pieces of art, it doesn't take that long. Reading a whole a script or, you know, a whole story, it's, they just don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that! So, as a writer, how do you get picked up by these comic companies? Um, how do you uh, collaborate with an artist? It's tough. It's tricky. Um, I do not envy uh, comic writers out there at, at all. I got an idea. Yeah, it, being an artist, I, I've, I've run across a lot of writers who they basically think that their idea is the, is, is the next big thing and that we should jump on board and collaborate and, you know, whatever money is made, you know, we'll split it. And that's it's great. Yeah, it's it's what Dave and I did. But, you know, we, we came up with the ideas together. You know, it was, it was a collaboration. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my balls. A little cooperation and everything is pleasant as punch. As, as a writer talking to an artist, that artist wants to get paid. Well, well, let me see your cash. All right, show them the cash. You know, they want to get paid to draw. Some may be happy to just have an opportunity to, to draw something, uh, to get printed. And that's nothing but pure and simple old-fashioned communism. Yeah, if, if you want to get noticed by the the big comic companies or even some of the smaller comic companies, you've got to be able to show that you can do the work. Writers, you know, you, you've got to get your stuff published, and it's that's going to mean collaborating with, you know, artists. And as an artist, I know not all artists are um, reliable. Uh, not all artists are speedy. Uh, not all artists are predictable or consistent. Choose your partners wisely. And as, since you are a writer, get everything in writing. You know, come up with a contract. Dave and I had one. It's not because we didn't trust each other, but it's because, you know, things happen. Uh, memories fade. Having a contract just kind of points out what you expect from each other. What are your responsibilities and duties? Uh, what happens if things go great? You know, what happens if things go bad? You know, how do you dissolve the partnership? You know, are there any assets going in and going out? All that. Sit down and if you can't afford a lawyer, you know, there's there's contract things online. But just don't go in with just a handshake or a, a promise. Oh, you can think about it, but don't. That's what I did with the t-shirt shop, and again, we know how that worked out. But back to uh, collaborating. Finding, finding those, those partners, you're going to have to be social. You know, they're not going to come knocking on your door because they think, oh, they must be a, a great writer. I must go seek them out. Nobody's going to know who you are. Nobody's going to know about your stuff if they haven't read it before. So, you know, go to conventions. Introduce yourself. Uh, you know, be friendly, be professional, uh, have some leave behinds uh, for people to, you know, get in contact with you. Or, you know, if you've got some um, some printed work that you've done before, you know, take those copies with you. Yeah, our, our Cartoonist Association, 
There's a lot of people that have collaborated in it. There are other people, like if you listen to the uh, the Dragon Templar episode, you can hear how Dale and Brad hooked up to, to create that story. You know, there was, uh, I talked with uh, Dave Dwanch and the, the Party Monster episode. He talks about how Jenny Zero came about. Uh, I talked to uh, Sal Abenanti. Uncle Sal. I can't complain. I don't know if I would do it again right away. He he, and, and Alex Ross teamed up because you know, they were already working together. Uh, he's uh, Alex's art rep and one of his best friends. With Atomica, it was, I just was trying to market it the best way I could. So if comic stores picked it up because Alex Ross was on the cover, I was cool with it because I just wanted them to give me a shake. So it's, it's developing these relationships. You'll see a lot of artists and writers that work together a lot. And it's because, you know, they know what to expect from each other. They like working with each other. They can just do, they can create. That's awesome. If you can create that type of relationship, man, fantastic. More power to you. That's what you need. But, you know, don't be afraid to, to work with others. Um, and that, that comes down to, uh, you know, pencilers and inkers or colorists or you know, whatever. You know, the, the creative team. I read an issue of uh, Green Arrow that Mike Norton did, and the first half of the book was uh, inked by one uh, inker, and then this the story in the second half of the book uh, was inked by somebody else. And it took me a second to realize that the second half of the book was penciled by Norton. Um, it looked great. I mean, both both stories looked great, but the first half was more, I won't say cartoony, I'll say uh, clean. Norton sometimes has a very clean style. And so that the line work, uh, the ink work on that part of the story, that looked more in line with what I expect to see from Norton. Now, the second half was grittier, uh, more lines, a little darker, edgier. And that wasn't something that I was used to seeing from Norton. But it it looked great. I said, both stories, fantastic. But just that collaboration with the inkers completely changed the uh, the style of his art and that you know that can happen with uh writers too you know if you're doing a you know a dark story you may not want it like an animated looking style cartoony style although i, I read stray dogs lately and that's very animated and very dark if you're doing something gothic you know you want somebody that can draw gothic if you're doing fun and happy you're going to want somebody that does you know a fun and happy animated type of style not only do your personalities have to kind of mesh, but your writing styles and art styles need to mesh as well. You know that. I know that. I know that. I haven't worked that out yet, but I'm thinking about it. I love Betty Brettweiser's, uh, you know, her coloring palette. It's, it's really, really cool, and it's very distinctive. And there are other colorists that I just I just go, oh, wow. Man, that's such, such a mood, such a tone. And then there's others that I've gone, ooh, that's muddy as hell. So, you know, finding the right colorist. That's it's really important. Finding the right letterer. And if, if people are having a hard time reading your book because of the lettering, it doesn't matter how good the art is. doesn't matter how good the writing is. It's a chore to read. I'm not going to keep reading this. It's confusing. That'll confuse. <laughs> On the other hand. Yeah. Maybe just boring. Whenever we were doing uh, Bushy Tales, Dave and I, you know, he was living on in, out in uh, Arizona. I was living here in Memphis. And... There were times I would have questions about, you know, balloon placement. And the good thing about working digitally, 
if I if I want to do the balloon placement and then show another version of the, where I think it might work better, or you know, wanted to get his you know, Dave's opinion on it, I could I could you know export them both out as JPEGs and go here's version A, here's version B. What do you think? And he could go in and in Photoshop whatever and kind of draw arrows saying yeah move it here or move it there or you know x something out yeah i don't think we need this and there were times when you know just moving a balloon from one panel to the next kind of created like a pause like a breathing uh you know it, it was kind of a um like a comma in a sentence it helped with the pacing and the, st the storytelling it it created that moment you don't just have to have word balloons pointing at people's heads and going left to right and, and all that kind of stuff but you know sometimes you know do you need that one balloon in this panel or can it be moved to this one you know and then and have those two panels there or that's a little crowded can i move that panel or this you know word balloon to that panel and kind of help open it up a little bit working digitally man that's it's so easy to do that easy peasy lemon squeezy and there's a lot of tips and a lot of tips and tricks out there on you know how to do your your lettering. And I've seen people you know have kind of have their own uh, little templates that they use. And um, that's another thing about working digitally. You can you can save those balloons and you know adjust them as you need them. Find out you know what what works for you and in, in your working style and, and method. Oh, I don't I don't have any house style. You know, <laughs> uh, I got more like a like a, a, an insane asylum house style. When it comes to uh, marketing and uh, being creative, you know, I've had, I've been accused of stealing my best ideas. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. If if you see something that you can use for yourself, man, don't be afraid. I can't tell you how many times I've had people swipe my ideas, and I've I've said before that if you steal from me, you've stolen twice. And I stole that line. And you can quote him. Make it your own. It, I could go into lots of stories about you know how how I came up with this idea or that idea or whatever. But the the main thing is get creative with your promotions. Get creative with your advertising and get creative with your uh, appearances and your booth layouts. Um, man, I tell you, uh, Daniel and Donna Davis with uh, steam crow and the the monster rangers oh my gosh if you ever get a chance to just you know, to meet them or see their booths uh, and their product mixes man just do yourself a favor uh go google them i'll put a link in the show notes but check out uh steam crow and the monster rangers their booths are extremely adaptable i should say um so you know they can do a corner table they can do a full booth you know, 10 by 10 booth. They can do a small artist alley table. They can do an outdoor event. Their booth is like a transformer, and it could change as they need it to. So, you know, put some thought behind how you're going to uh, set up your booth at shows and, you know, signing appearances or wherever you're, you're going to be. You want to get things up. You want to get things up behind you, and you want to get things up on your table. It's okay to have a couple of things flat and people kind of kind of look at it or whatever, but you really want to get things up and vertical. 
you want people that are walking by to see this stuff. You want, want them to be able to uh, get it, but you also don't want to block your view of the show. It's great to have a bunch of things up vertical, but if you can't see what's going on from behind the table, it kind of kind of defeats the purpose in, in talking to people and uh, seeing what's going on, or keeping an eye on your merchandise and it not walking off. Speaking of shows, the great thing about having a collaborator like a writer or you know colorist, uh, a letterer, you know that uh, it's is that you can have somebody to go tandem with uh, to shows. You can have somebody else there with you at the booth. There's going to be times when you may want to get out and see the show, talk to people, uh, make those connections, or just you know go to the bathroom or you know grab something to eat. He's taking a 10-100. Well, at least it's better than 10-200. There are going to be times when you may need to do a panel. Uh, and, and panels are a great way to promote yourself and, and your work. So you know, don't shy away from doing panels. If you're not, you know, if you're not really comfortable doing public speaking, uh, just do it. Uh, start small shows and be on panels with other people and kind of interject when you can. Um, and just kind of, kind of work your way up. Um, I was extremely shy uh, growing up. Um, I didn't like talking to people. Um, it's, I, that's not true. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind talking to people that I knew. It was, it was the strangers. Um, that was, that was the, that was the hard part. But I got into, uh, like band. So we had to perform in front of folks. Once we got the, once I started working at the mall and doing t-shirts, I had to talk to customers a lot. Once we did the t-shirt shop, um, I started doing radio commercials. I started doing, uh, TV appearances for like, you know, the, the morning shows and um, uh, different uh, special events like the uh, the Ronald McDonald House radiothons and you know I, I got more comfortable doing it uh, especially uh, w once I started doing conventions and started doing panels I think one of the first panels I ever was on was out there in, in Arizona and, and uh, Terry Moore was was like the big name and I was like kind of freaking out but after a few minutes, that freakout kind of you know wears off. You know, it's like being on the panel with with Len Wein and and uh, John Jackson Miller. It kind of wears off because you kind of get in, into the moment and and the, the conversation starts. And <laughs> somebody like the uh, John Jackson Miller, man, you just you wind JJ up and and, and he goes. He's like the uh, the Energizer Bunny of uh, convention speaking. The man is not afraid to talk. The force is strong with this one. Get out of your comfort zone every now and then. Definitely learn learn to uh, to talk. You have a wonderful way of putting things. So did he. Oh yes. If you, if you haven't done uh, podcast interviews before, you know, start small, five ten minute uh, little interview at a show or you know call in that kind of thing. You know, kind of work your way up and again have your elevator pitch. You know, have your talking points that. Uh, that you can you can mention, you know, have have those in your back pocket and, and ready to pull out and, and go at any time, because you never know who you're going to be talking to, uh, you never know when you you know, you're going to have to talk about about this sort of thing. So you know, just just be prepared. If you have to practice doing your uh, elevator pitch, that's that's fine. You kind of heard my elevator pitch for this podcast at the beginning of the show. Welcome to Drawing Funny, where we talk tunes of. Damn, welcome to Drawing Funny where we talk tunes with some sketchy characters in the comics industry and fandom. I'm your host, Lynn Workman. You are a silver-tongued devil. Yeah. I don't always get it right the first time. I have to practice it. And um, 
I've gotten to where I try to, uh, instead of just copying the last one I did and pasting it in Audacity, you know, I, I try to re-record it. <laughs> that way, you know, I get better at saying it, but also, the, hopefully, the sound of the, the mic and my voice will be more consistent throughout the episode, and you're not going to hear strange, weird uh, sound differences. Because the, the mic... Depending on which direction I have it and, and set up in front of me, it, it, it does sound a little different uh, time to time. And with uh, with all the pollen and stuff in the air, my voice sounds different too. <coughs> you know, you ought to give up smoking. That's bad for your health. But I enjoy it so much. Okay. So I've been rambling on about creating comics. Has this helped you at all? Are you having trouble creating comics? Are you having trouble making connections? Are there conventions near you? Uh, do you have local comic shops near you? Uh, are there local you know, creator groups? Have you thought about starting a creator group? My best advice for creating comics, and I know how this is going to sound, but just create comics. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be polished. They don't have to be printed. Just create. When you're ready to put them out there, put them out there. But just know that you're, you're probably not going to get rich off of this, okay? Um, few creators have hit the lottery with their comics. Do it because you love doing it. You love creating. You love telling stories. That will show in your work. That will draw people in. That will keep them coming back for more. If you're having a good time and having fun and, and being entertained, more than likely others will too. What do you and Fred want? How come we doing this? Well, why not? Well, they said it couldn't be done. That's the reason, son. That's good with Fred. We're clear. <laughs> One bit of advice I will give you, though, for um, if you're going to go printed... Get as much of the work done ahead of time uh, that you can. Um, they always say, like with uh, comic strips and stuff like that, you want to have several months of comics ready to go before you you know you get syndicated or you're, you're doing a web comic. Just because life happens, things get in your way, or you know you're just not as creative this week as you were the week before or the week after. Same thing with producing comics, whether you're self-publishing or working for a publisher. Things are going to happen. Things are going to get in the way. So try to get work ahead. You know, if you're doing a Kickstarter, yeah, I've been told repeatedly, you know, have the book done, ready to go before you launch the Kickstarter. See, I went to the big guys for the money. I was ready to prostitute myself in the, man the manner in which I talk about it. That way there's no delays. Uh, you, can, you can get it to, off to the publisher, you know, the printer uh, right away and, and get it into the hands of the readers. You know, these days, again, there's there's so many uh, supply chain issues, shipping delays, printing delays. It's That's the world we're living in right now. So the quicker you can get your book into the hands of uh, readers, the better. I'm going, I'm going. I got the metal to the pedal and the thing to the floor. With Bushy Tales, we were going quarterly, and I do not recommend that. Um, you know, if you're going to print, either go monthly or wait until you can do a trade. You know, if, if you're doing a webcomic, wait until you can put it all together as a trade or, you know, graphic novel. Uh, because going quarterly, even though we shipped on time, 
uh, retailers and fans thought we were late because we weren't shipping monthly. So that kind of came and, and bit us in the butt. <laughs> Not only do you need to think about the actual creating of the comics, but there's all this other, other stuff, the, the business, the marketing, the printing, you know, the distribution. There's all that to think about, too. If, you, if you're going to get into creating comics, know that it's more than just writing comics or drawing comics. Um, even if you're working for somebody else, there's, there's going to be more than just that to do. And four. Good luck with creating comics. I hope you have fun. I hope you, uh, you make a lot of money. I uh, hope you get to go and see places and meet people and have even more fun projects coming up in the future. Is this fun? Drop me a line if you want me to talk about it or talk to you. Contact info is at the end of this episode. All right, info on it. So take care, stay creative, and keep drawing funny. Ah, you be careful, you hear? podcast. You can find out more about the Mid-South Cartoonists Association at midsouthcartoonists.org and on the MSCA Facebook page. Be sure to like that page and follow our group on Twitter at MSCA underscore Memphis and on Instagram at Mid-South Cartoonists. You can keep up with this show at any of those or on the show site drawingfunny.com as well as on Twitter at drawingfunny1 Drawing Funny with the number one, or Instagram at Drawing Funny Pod. Links and other info can be found in the show notes of each episode at drawingfunny.com. Shameless plug for me, I have my Lynn Workman, that's L I N Workman.com art site, and my geek travel blog and webcomic, HaveGeekWillTravel.com. My social media info and bio are on all those sites, along with several examples of my artwork. Thanks for listening. I hope to talk tunes with you all again real soon. Until then, stay tuned and keep drawing funny. Hey man, he, he's gone. Let's, let's get out of here.